On this episode of Business Interrupted. So if you're crisis ready from a cultural standpoint, it means that you have equipped, you've trained, you've empowered your entire organization, every single member of every single department and team up, down, laterally with the right mindset, the skills and the capabilities to respond to risk in a way where you're de-escalating it as quickly as possible. You're suffering the least amount of material impact as possible. And with Crisis Ready, we go a step further than that. We say where you're coming out of any type of negative event with increased trust and credibility with those who matter most to the business. Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellon Solutions, we're hearing from the world's best leaders as they get into specific situations and topics, providing insights, advice, lessons learned, and resources so you can be ready for when business is interrupted. I'm your host, Brian Zawada. How do you define a crisis versus just an issue? Business continuity depends not only on a well-crafted response strategy and plan, but also an ability to determine when such a capability should be triggered and used. In this episode, Melissa Agnes, founder and CEO of the Crisis Ready Institute, joins me to discuss the relationship between crisis management and business resilience. Melissa has over a decade of experience in crisis management in various industries, giving her profound insight into this topic. Not only that, she's captured her experiences in an outstanding book titled Crisis Ready, and we discuss a number of the key elements summarized in her book. In our conversation, among other things, you learn the five obstacles to being crisis ready and the role culture plays in determining preparedness. To start things off, here's Melissa breaking down her view on what a crisis truly means. In Crisis Ready, we always look at issue versus crisis. If I were to give it one word or up to three words, I'd say an issue is an inconvenience. It's that annoyance. It's that thing that we don't necessarily want to have to deal with, but it doesn't disrupt. It doesn't impact. It's just really an inconvenience. And before long, we'll be back up and running. Versus a crisis is really a disruption. A crisis is a disruption that threatens impact. So it's all hands on deck. It's more than an inconvenience. It actually threatens some kind of material impact. If you want to go deeper than that, I can share it when I'm teaching even to leaders, like of kind of every scope. So let's say that you're a student and maybe you're a college student or high school student because you have a paper that's due tomorrow and you have been working on this paper. It's worth like 40 or 50% of your grade. So it's worth a lot. You've been working on it for weeks. You're really proud of it. You're excited to turn it in. Tomorrow it's due. You had a busy day today. You have planned out your evening and your evening is to sit down and just fine tune, finalize this paper so that it's ready for tomorrow and you're going to get that big fat A. You sit down on your computer. It's the end of the day. You got your coffee prepped. So you're probably not in high school. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, by accident, you spill your coffee all over your computer. It fries the hard drive. So if we're looking at this context right now, you have maybe 12 hours before your paper's due. You also need to sleep within those 12 hours. You've been working on this paper for weeks. Your hard drive's fried. It would be a crisis if you didn't have your paper backed up to the cloud, nor did you have access to another computer to actually access the cloud, right? That would be a crisis because now you're going, oh my goodness, I've lost everything. I need to start back from scratch. There's no way. I'm going to get this done. There's not physically enough time 
in the day or, you know, before this is due for me to get it done. And this is going to impact my grade, which might impact, you know, the remainder of the year versus you have it updated to the cloud. You have access to another computer. You borrow your sibling's computer. And so it's an inconvenience in the sense of maybe it'll take you an hour to like locate the computer, log into your stuff, access your stuff. But within the hour, you're sitting back down and you're finalizing your paper and you hand it in tomorrow. So kind of on that level, issue versus crisis. Same scenario, one's an issue, one's a crisis, depending on the impact, the level of disruption and impact that it presents. You mentioned issue and inconvenience versus disruption that threatens impact. Are there any events that are out of bounds when it comes to crisis management? Because this is something that I hear a lot about. We get a lot of people in the, in the industry, those that are involved in resilience, business continuity, preparedness, pick a word, that say, oh, no, that's not something that I do, or that's not something that's in scope, or something like that. But what's your take on it? So those are two different questions. If it's a crisis, it's threatening material impact on either or all of people, environment. To me, environment, depending on the business, is either it could be economy, it could also be planet. The business is operations, its reputation, and or its bottom line. So a crisis stops business as usual and because it threatens material impact on one to all of those five things. So if something is in scope of crisis management, it's because it threatens impact to one to all of those five things. The reason I say it's two questions is if you are a BCP expert, so you're in business continuity and you're in charge of your organization's business continuity, so that's the operational side of the material impact out of those five things. What would be out of your scope would be protecting the brand's reputation, right? You're going to do the managing side of the action side. So effective crisis management requires the right action to be taken, the right communication to be communicated, all within the right timeline. So it's action communication within the right time frame. If you are responsible for the action side of things, you play an instrumental role to the organization's overall crisis management. But the only way you're in charge of or supporting the brand reputation is by taking your actions. But you're not going to worry about what the media is saying, what social media is doing, how executives are going to be communicating, what the board gets. Like that would be out of your scope. When I said earlier that crisis ready is cultural, it is understanding all of the different dynamics that play when a crisis. And let's also be clear that it's not just crisis. So if you're crisis ready from a cultural standpoint, it means that you have equipped, you've trained, you've empowered your entire organization, every single member of every single department and team up, down, laterally with the right mindset, the skills and the capabilities to respond to risk in a way where you're de-escalating it as quickly as possible. You're suffering the least amount of material impact as possible. And with Crisis Ready, we go a step further than that. We say where you're coming out of any type of negative event with increased trust and credibility with those who matter most to the business. So you're strengthening your brand equity due to, due to strong response, right? Effective response. And so that's everybody's responsibility, but it does need to be led top down. Let's go deeper though. Do you see anyone with this typically accountable? There's, there's always, you know, if, if everyone owns it, no one owns it. And, but somebody's got to be accountable for it. So if we look at collectively the leadership team, if you will, When you're looking at accountability, you're looking at, when I'm looking at accountability, I'm saying in a worst case scenario, if you don't manage the crisis properly, 
who's going to be held accountable potentially from regulatory standpoint, from a legal standpoint. I mean, if we look at the Volkswagen scandal, right, there's a number of members of Volkswagen's leadership team that are having criminal charges now against them, right? They are being held accountable. So ultimately, when we look at accountability, that needs to come from the top. So let's transition to something that I, I picked up from your book. It was one of the first call outs. I think it might have even been in the introduction. And it said something like, uh, if you don't own a crisis, it will own you. And it led me to think, I mean, it was probably the thing that caused me to want to keep reading because it probably implied what's the necessary preparation for a crisis. Do you have a top three list or some something you'd like to share that's key to preparing? Absolutely. I'm going to reiterate or like re-say what I've reiterate, what I said about mindset, skill set, capability. Mindset really is a fundamental component. So one of the things that we teach to leaders and to teams is the lens through which you choose to see any type of annoyance or a negative event directly impacts your actions, right? So the way you see it is directly going to impact the actions you take and the actions you take are directly going to impact the results of the situation on the brand, on the people, et cetera. So mindset, understanding what the right mindset is, how to choose the right lens, how to empower and reward for the right lens culturally throughout the organization on a day-to-day, that is a very fundamental and very powerful component in and of itself. Two is then going to, once you have a good understanding knowledge about that and you're committed to it, it's understanding defining issue versus crisis for your organization. So a crisis for one isn't necessarily a crisis for all. And the example that I like to use these days is at the start of COVID, let's just say the first months, COVID is a crisis. COVID has been a crisis on multiple scales, on multiple levels globally, right? For organizations, for people, for communities and society. For Zoom, the communication platform, it was a brand opportunity. All of a sudden, everybody's working from home and they need their their brand awareness and the exponential growth for this business was an opportunity. So crisis for one isn't necessarily a crisis for others. So knowing what a crisis is for your organization and more than that is really defining or identifying the thresholds of impact. So what are the things that take an issue to crisis level? And a, a common mistake that, and, and vice versa, back down, a crisis to down, de-escalated down to issue level. One, this enables you to know that an issue is not a crisis when it feels like a crisis. And that is a, a big thing. It's a really important thing and is a very common thing to not be able to differentiate between the two. And then two, so defining the thresholds is when you're doing that, you want to compare apples to apples. So a lot of times people will be like, oh, an issue are like X, Y's and Z's examples or scenarios. And a crisis is A, B and C. You can't do that. You have to look at, let's say, a fire. That's the scenario. When would a fire be an issue for our organization? And what would fire present a crisis? And you paint out that picture. So an issue would be you're standing in your office and the garbage can next to you, for whatever reason, lights on fire. You're next to it. You're next to the sink. You pour some water on it. That's an issue. It needs to be handled right away. It's an inconvenience. It's maybe a little bit scary in the moment because it catches you off guard. But it's, it doesn't need to be escalated to anybody. It doesn't threaten material impact because you've resolved it. Versus a fire that injures people or worse or impacts the building and your equipment so that operationally you are impacted from a material standpoint. 
So, right. So you're looking. So that's the second thing is really understanding, defining issue versus crisis for your organization and then defining those thresholds of impact that say, if these things, if this were to get triggered, we would be in crisis mode. And one of the powerful things that provides one is peace of mind to really understand that. Two, you then take that to your entire team so that they can understand how to detect and assess a situation because you don't know today who's going to be the first to detect something or be in the line of being able to detect it. And then two, across the leadership team, you gain consensus and agreement on these are, sure, we can't account for everything. We can't predict everything. We can't list everything. But we know that if these things were, if our workforce were to be impacted by X percent, then we know that we're in crisis mode versus issue mode. And if you can gain consensus and alignment with that prior to a crisis, then there's less confusion for emotional reasons, for like so many different reasons just for being a human that come with being a human, that in the moment, now you are very clear on, yes, we need to activate our crisis ready program. So that's two. And then three, I would say to do a stakeholder mapping exercise. So this is where you really seek one of the crisis ready rules is strong businesses built on successful relationships. Crisis management is all about those relationships. Crisis management is about doing right by the people you serve when you're put to the test, when it's most important, which is how when you do that, you come out of a negative incident with increased trust and credibility because you've earned trust, even if the, the crisis was your fault or whether it wasn't. By managing effectively, you're strengthening relationships. You're proving that you who you are through your actions and your communications. So in order to do that, you need to truly understand who your different stakeholder groups are and what their connection, their relationship is with the brand and what they expect. So for example, what are the values that tie them emotionally to the brand? Because your core values are very essential for your crisis management response. Absolutely. They're going to be a guiding beacon, especially when you have a lot of different paths in front of you and you're not quite sure which one to take. Your core values are something that you can follow, right? Because that is that point that connects you emotionally with the people you serve. And then, for example, if you know, you need to communicate with them, you need to meet them on their turf. One of the other criteria rules, I believe, is it's not about you, it's about them. So it's, are they going to go to social media? Are they going to go to your website? Are they going to expect you to pick up the phone and call them? Are they going to pick up the phone and call you? If so, who are they going to call? So conducting a stakeholder mapping exercise enables you to truly go into all of your different scenarios that you'll have identified during the second phase there that I, the second step that I just shared with issue versus crisis and high-risk scenarios. And then say, okay, in scenario A, let's go down the list of all of our stakeholders. What would they be feeling? What would be, what would matter to them? Have, what questions would they have? What can we anticipate now so that we can get ahead of it in the heat of the moment and really own the narrative of our story, of our incident? Mindset, understanding the issue versus crisis and really defining that for your organization, stakeholder mapping. Those will take you leaps and bounds into being crisis ready. So the, the first one with mindset and, uh, and ultimately commitment, that's one I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners are going, thinking about this right now, thinking, this is my number one challenge. And if that's number one, how do I get this off the ground? Any advice there? Because it is a challenge for many. If someone has an established drivers or they, they're dealing with an executive team that says, you know, we're a whole bunch of smart people. We'll just figure it out when it comes to us. How do you, how do you change the mindset or, or at least create a mindset that leads to action? Getting buy-in and support is like the number one struggle. Even for really crisis-ready organizations, continuing to maintain buy-in and support can be a struggle. So my book covers a bunch of this in terms of what my experience has been and where I've, I've been successful. There's different things. So one is there are 
are what I've identified as the five hindrances of crisis ready. So if you're, if you are struggling to gain buy-in and support, if you're, if you kind of get stuck at like some kind of a bottleneck or resistance, I would say identify those individuals and do your best to try to identify which of one or several of the crisis ready hindrances are standing in the way. The five hindrances are avoidance, ego, fear, ignorance, politics. So which one might be at play and combine that with these kind of individuality of those humans. So are they somebody who in order to resonate with them, if it's fear driven or if it's avoidance driven, like, or if it's ignorance as a lack of, of true understanding and awareness, education, if it's emotionally bound, how do you connect with them on that emotional level to make your point and resonate it with it? Are they like lawyers, for example, are very like they want to know case law and they want to know case studies and they want the facts that will show them that this is the right path forward. So is that how you're going to resonate with them? Is it very much speaking to the bottom line? This is why being crisis ready, these are the areas in the business of crisis ready culture outside of crisis management are going to give us a competitive advantage and going to increase our efficiency and our productivity and our X, Y, Z, right? So figure out what the hindrance is, who you're speaking to, to really resonate with them. And then the last piece that I'll say is conduct an exercise, do a simulation that, and I'm I'm strong proponent for simulations versus tabletop exercises and say, Hey, we think we're ready. Great. Let's strengthen our skills. Never test people. It's always strengthen our skills and test our program, test our capabilities, our processes, our procedures. And let's do that in a creative way so that, and I'll say kind of sidebar, even the most crisis-ready organizations that I've ever had the privilege of working with, a simulation will show us the areas that need strengthening and need improvement. So that is a really great way to bring it to life and to say, hey, we think we're ready, let's do it. And 99.9% of the time, you're going to walk away with people going, okay, all right, I get it. Let's, let's, even if it's just incremental, let's focus on this over the course of the next business year. Great. That'll, that's one step in the right direction. Being able to understand someone's motivators and, and really appeal to those. That's definitely my number one to overcome that. And oftentimes you get into that one-on-one discussion before you get into a group, maybe you discover the issue in the group, but get back to one-on-one's motivators and and do your best to figure out how someone's wired and how they make decisions. I loved your example about the lawyer, the case study, the case law driven. That's spot on. So you mentioned exercises, practice, simulations. Talk to me about your thoughts on what works best to be able to get an organization to be crisis ready. How do you get the simulation going in the right direction to, to the, build that capability, build that program? One is know that you cannot test nor should you test everything at once. So pick your objectives, like define your objectives and pick your goals on today. We want to test our communication component. And that's, you know, 360 degrees, not just our team, our communication department team, but, you know, decision-making, approval process, dissemination to everybody within the organization. And how does that go out? Like, so communication is a broad thing, but it's, it's only one thing. It's not saying we're going to test everything. So define your objectives, your goals for the exercise. And then I prefer to do them in the morning. I never really go more than three hours. I think that three hours is really intense. You can work with organizations with teams that do like two day full on crisis simulations. That's just never been my preference. And then an hour long debrief afterwards over lunch. So you can decompress and really come together as a team and and say what worked, what didn't, how do you feel? 
and then get creative with it. So you want to make it as realistic as possible. You want to not let the people who are going to be a part of the exercise be a part of the planning because you want it. You want that element of surprise. And you want to bring in, this is fun part, is I like to bring in role players. So I like to go to the team who are not part of the decision-making process or part of the crisis management team and say, hey, do you want to have a fun activity where you get to play with your boss, right? You get to test them and like throw things at them and give them roles and bring them to be a part of it. So now when I talk about crisis already being cultural, I'm saying do this instead of hiring people to do this or like having an agency that brings their team because the process by which those team members are going to undertake like in this exercise, even from their role, is going to give them insight and it's going to help me permeate that, that culture. But really just get creative with it. Be as realistic as possible in the sense of it's the difference between a tabletop and a simulation is a tabletop is somebody is facilitating and saying, okay, this happened. What would you do? And it facilitates a conversation. And that's a really great exercise. But a simulation, it's not, okay, this has happened. It's, this has happened. Maybe your phone rings or maybe you're on a simulated platform and you're seeing something go blow up on Twitter and you have to figure out what the pieces are. So they're actually making the calls to the experts within the organization and they're receiving calls and they have to tell their team, give their team directives and their teams have to execute. So you're truly honing your skills you're coming together as a team and you're, this is a team building exercise and you're testing your processes to make sure that they don't just look good on paper. Right. You know, and I think of some of the simulations that I've done from a, especially from a communications perspective is you're right. Give them the raw inputs uh, based on a scenario, something real, make it concrete, and then ask them to execute maybe parts of what you just did, what you talked about with your stakeholder map. You know, what is the message? How would you deliver it? And go ahead and deliver it to us and simulate that maybe with those role players. So I think you and I are pretty much aligned there in terms of, you know, elements of a simulation that can really make things real and, you know, put, put them, you know, on the hot seat, so to speak. And, and back to helping people motivate, get motivated to stay involved long term, they're going to remember that experience and then they're going to draw on it and say, yeah, I got to keep practicing. I got to keep getting better because I don't want to mess this up in front of a, a large audience or a key stakeholder group. It's your time to make mistakes. It's the, it's the time to make mistakes. You, there's things that you'll learn through these exercises that you don't want to learn when you're actually in that situation. So the way you position it, the way you execute on it is a fun exercise. This is not, that's why I was very clear to say you're not testing people. You're honing skills and testing process, testing program, testing capability. And I say that because early on in my career, we had this big simulation prepared the lot goes into these exercises. So it takes a while. And the day of the exercise, we had five of my clients, team members call in sick because they were so nervous to do it. So since then, I've been very clear on this is fun, but this is the time and space to explore what those wrong answers are as a team, right? So that's really important. Mindset matters. Well, this is great. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. I got two more questions for you. Number one, if people had wanted to reach out and talk to you or, or connect with you, what's the best way? And we've alluded to your book a few times. What's the best way for them to get a copy? I mean, if you Google Melissa Agnes, you're going to find me. If you go Christ Management, you're probably going to find me. But Crisis Ready Institute, that's crisisreadyinstitute.com. You can also go to crisisready.com. From there, you'll find me. You'll find the book. The book's on Amazon. And then, I mean, I'm pretty much everywhere. And send me a DM on whatever platform you find me on. Send me an email. I love this stuff. I love answering questions. 
Culture, stakeholder analysis and communications readiness, getting and keeping buy-in to prepare, achieving clarity on what constitutes a crisis and the triggers to depart from business as usual. These were some of my key takeaways from my conversation with Melissa. Resilience management is that perfect combination of outcomes stemming from the business continuity, operational resilience, and crisis management disciplines. And our short conversation covered some of the key foundational elements of being, as Melissa called it, crisis ready. And for those that haven't read her book, I would highly encourage it and be sure to reread it on a periodic basis. Thanks for listening to Business Interrupted. I'm Brian Zawada for this scenario's episode. To get more insights and resources, head over to castellonbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.